Hello, everyone. You're listening to the Embrace ASD podcast. And so we're here with Mariah, Raya, Person. What's going on? Living the life as tolerable as can be. Yes. And <laughs> what a wild time it is. And um, yeah, so let's, I guess, jump right into the meat and potatoes. And uh, I just thought of that, the texture, and it sounds awesome. Some wholesome stuff. Yeah. yeah. It's wholesome. <laughs> it is. Wholesome. But sensorily questionable. <laughs> Dang. Yeah, how about that? That should be your tagline. Wholesome, but sensually questionable. <laughs> But uh, really, all things seriously, how are you feeling during these times where, uh, well, I'll let you explain. I mean, take the mic. Uh, (laughs) If anyone's seen, I mean, I don't assume that people have been like stalking me on Twitter, Um, but my posts have been pretty um, transparent in my current like experience. It's a lot of grieving and mourning as well as having to deal with my body. Like, like it's a part of why when we talk about how Blackness and autism, like, you can't separate the two. Like, Mm -hmm. the fact that I am grieving and I'm mourning and I'm experiencing rage because of the fact that I'm a Black person who is witnessing apathy towards our deaths and the fact that it took a, a mass genocide to be televised in order for people to kind of sort of start to care. Mm-hmm. Um, and then because I'm autistic, it's just heightening that even more. And it's it, and the stress response is been causing my body to break down. And so whether it be like me developing tinnitus that triggers migraines or like m- me starting to lose cognitive function during certain times of the day um, <laughs> and having to be aware of like, am I burning myself out because I'm, so emotionally aware right now um and having to take breaks while also still collaborating with other people to create resources and make people aware of what's going on right now even though um everything that people are asking to hear us say has been everything that we've been saying and they've been ignored so like there's also that frustration (laughs) yeah i mean um to give some to give some background for folks, it's true. I mean, you can look at records. We're talking people like John Brown. We're talking people like Frederick Douglass. We're talking throughout the history of this nation and in England and the world over. This isn't news. You know, this has been going on for 400 plus years. And it's the it's the kind of brushing under the rug. I mean, I, I don't know how you were taught in public school, but I remember the way I was taught was, and then MLK happened and then all this kind of went away. And I was like, well, mm-hmm. my cousins are black and he was accosted the other day. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. And I had this suspicion because um, one side of my family, there's a lot of black folks in it because Dominicans, you just can't separate Dominican ethnicity from blackness, you know, because we were in part a mix of three separate groups. We had indigenous folks. Mm-hmm. black slaves that were shipped over and also white slaves that were shipped over mm-hmm. and they all created you know a very diverse tapestry of genetics you know that i've been endowed with and i'm still short but that aside i digress though <laughs> yeah, just, just that thorn in my in my foot 
<laughs> but, it's okay to grieve when you need to. Yeah, it's okay to <laughs> grieve over the inches lost. <laughs> no matter. We all have lost something in this fight. <laughs> yeah, I it's more than what I lack the gain. But anyway, you know, in all seriousness, um, it's it's true. It's a long cycle that hasn't perished. And I mean, I think I think back to the clip we just saw in Rome, Georgia, where white nationalists, including KKK members, neo-Nazis, and various other white supremacist groups. And Mm -hmm. make no mistake, people, when I say white supremacist, we're talking white terrorism. We mean people who want an ethnostate or eradication or a combination. And they were marching in police, did not do anything violent. They defended them. They defended their rights to march. Exactly. And this is old. I mean... We need to address the history that in the South, especially, police were essentially agents for slave owners, and that was their primary job. And then afterward, it was to enforce Jim Crow. Mm -hmm. The racism and police department are inseparable. They are historically linked. And uh, it's like, yeah, it's like you was it. I always like to remind people that like the the death of George was over a $20 bill. Yeah. Um, and like, just like letting people sit into that, where it's like, whether, even if he knew that it was counterfeit, you don't have the right to kill somebody over a $20 bill. Yeah. I mean, um, look at Wall Street bankers. Was, they destroyed mm, billions. Uh, and <laughs> one went to prison. One went to prison. Huh. I'm like, wait a minute here. You're going to sh- kill a guy over a counterfeit? And he probably didn't know. I don't know about you guys. Exactly. I couldn't tell what a counterfeit bill looks like. Exactly. There's a lot of counterfeit money that, like, it's just it's just a part of, you know, the world we live in. Like, people trying to make money, so they fake money. Yeah. And that, that's what I was saying. Like, more than likely, he didn't know. But, like, even if he did know, like, $20, like, I like I don't care if he was like, yeah, I'm gonna take this twenty this fake twenty dollars and buy me something to drink. Like even if that was the case, he still wouldn't have deserved to die. Yeah. Um and then the response to that was peaceful protest. And I feel like a lot of I see I see a lot of people keep trying to be all like, well, like this is how these people responded, and so therefore they deserve this. But it's like the initial response was peaceful protest, and many of the responses after that was the same. But the immediate response to that peaceful protest was police aggression and so if we can't ask peacefully for justice and accountability without being attacked with bullets and in in um pepper spray that's what it is um like yeah if we can't ask for these things that we're supposedly have the right to ask for without being attacked like, how is that supposed to make sense? But at the same time, before this, we saw white armed individuals storm a state house and they were protected and defended by the police. And then, as you just described with the marching of the, the, the supremacists and terrorists, um, they were also protected to have their voices heard and their bodies be protected. Um, and it's like, okay, like, if you guys aren't seeing the priority and the reality at this point, then you're literally choosing to not be aware of it. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's pretty, it's pretty wild to see. I mean, 
this whole there's a really big you know uh there's, there's an argument that i see that's pervasive that touches on what you just said where people say well nonviolence is the answer and to a large extent it is but people forget that's been tried mm-hmm. and they assassinated the man who tried mm-hmm. they assassinated mlk jr mm-hmm. and then Huey p newton and bobby seal and angela davis and co got together and said well this is not working. We need to arm ourselves and defend ourselves. And how are they labeled as domestic terrorists, as communists, you know, as people who were out to get them when what it really was, I'm talking about the Black Panthers folks, by the way, um, founded by Huey, Rob, and uh, Angela and co. Is quite a few people who started it, but it's hard to remember everyone. Uh, yeah, it's it, the peaceful methods have been tried and you're seeing aggression against the state that has for hundreds of years been complicit, an agitator and or complacent in some combination, mm-hmm. you know, and I just don't, you know, it, what's crazy to me is folks would rather have this go on longer than a momentary disruption, an actual that, change, you know, some, some uncomfortable feelings for a while. There was, um, let me see if I can find it again. Um, so one of the things that happens to be, I don't know why, but like um, the this week tonight, la- was it last week tonight? Uh, um, John's voice for whatever calms me down. Uh, I don't know why. <laughs> I'm like, he's info dumping and he has a calming voice. I enjoy every time it comes on. And that's uh, John Stewart, right? Yeah. And um, this last episode, he went over um, like what's going on right now when it comes to people asking for um, reformation, reformation, okay, reformation, but also like the ab- abolition of police. Um, and he talked about the Kerner report um, and ha- how that had happened at one of the last large um civil distress uh okay i'm sorry my words are like failing me right now <laughs> um long story short corner report was created based off of a similar situation that we're experiencing right now they asked a famous black psychologist dr kenneth b clark um to review the report and he was like this looks like everything that has been created for like every other situation like the the harm harlem riots and all of those that came before that and so there's this issue of um i saw a lot of white people get into the concept of protesting and standing for black lives matter as if it was like they had this really ignorant hope that it was going to cause like immediate change um whereas like the black people and people of color just like we have been doing this for so long and it w- is not going to be pretty. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to make you like, you're going to just like lose parts of yourself in this process. Figuratively and um, literally. And so, I mean, people have lost eyes. Yes. This is not. Yep, and lives. Yes. Eyes, lives. It's not a joke, folks. I mean, really. Yeah. Is- and so this psychologist was talking about how everything, every plan that is created at every civil uprest has already been created before, but it's like nothing has ever been put into action because, and I always talk about how like 
the goal seems to always be um, to distract. And a part of that was the shooting of MLK, where it's like, wow, like they're actually making progression. We're getting to that breaking point. They're like being so consistent, they're not letting up. And then they start killing off leaders. That's a part of why, like, um, the during, was it the initial Black Lives Matter um, founders, like all of those people who were there as originators, like most of them are dead. And like, that's not by accident. And so like, is this very much like we as Black people, like we don't have the choice to be not aware of the very active hands in keeping these thing, these systems in action. Um, and that's not fair. Like we're tired. Like we don't want to, we don't want to riot. We don't want to be mad. We don't want to have to demand these things. But at the same time, mm-hmm. for some reason, these are that's what we have to do in order to just like force people to see maybe that we're human and that we're deserving of being given and treated as humans with human rights. Like it's ridiculous. <laughs> so on the topic of you and being a black woman, of course, mm-hmm. and black, uh, well, actually do you identify as a woman. I, I checked on your, it says she, her, and they, so I want to double check. Like non-binary. Non-binary. Um, okay. Yeah. On that, that mystically large spectrum. <laughs> so as a black person on this earth or alien, according to some, cause we're all, <laughs> um, as, as a black human Kryptonian crypto Lord. Oh yeah. That'd be pretty, okay. That'd be dope. <laughs> as, as, as Dr. Manhattan. No, but, uh, really how, how is getting diagnosed being black? And, you know, I imagine in the mental health system, you must've come across a lot of, you know, a lot of people who already had ideas of who you are and what normal behavior is like. And, you know, well, what was your experience getting diagnosed both as an autistic, as a black person and that intersection between those two identities? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like weird because like reflecting on that question, usually I like jump right into like, well, this is process, but um, there, I feel like the pre-framing is just a part of the process actually getting the diagnosis um i always say how i was like the majority of my life has been me asking for help Mm. and being punished for it and like that is like the consistency of my memories in childhood where like i'm i'm really blessed to have the mother that that i have and knowing that whenever I need her, needed her, I could call her and she would advocate for me. Mm-hmm. But within like school systems, like it would be, I don't understand this. What, what does this mean? I need help. And like every time I requested for help in some sort of way, it was almost instantly just like, you're a bad kid. <laughs> like, yeah. And it was like, oh, you're supposed to know this. Stop playing stupid. Or... um what is it? You don't get any special treatment. And it like, I was very much raised with this idea. I love my grandpa. Um, I was very much raised with the idea of that um, nobody's better than me and I'm not better than anybody else. And the concept of respect was really solid. So I was that kid who had very like strong values, <laughs> even as like a little kid, like at five. And so when I started being put into public schools and being immersed in 
white dominated spaces that felt threatened by me just existing mm-hmm. and having to understand that. Like I, I learned how to change the way how I spoke. I learned how to be mindful of the way how I use my body mannerisms because I noticed that like when I, what I, the way how I say it, whenever I spoke and behaved the way I would at home, people, I, I could see that like threatened look in their eye. And I'm adorable, so I don't understand why anyone would be threatened by me. <laughs> you're also I was a very also adorable a child. You're a kid. <laughs> exactly. I'm a small, adorable child, and you feel threatened for yeah. your life to the point that you feel like you need to punish me. It's like looking at um, Kirby and feeling threatened. It's like, yeah. Oh, oh I guess yeah. that's a bad example. He does like eat the universe, so maybe yeah. that's bad. <laughs> <laughs> um it's like <laughs> the, yeah the, the the details right um <laughs> yeah. but so like i like i was able to get diagnosed as like having adhd when i was younger but i feel like that was more to affirm that i was like this problem kid who just like couldn't get their themselves straight um but even after like that diagnosis that didn't give me accommodations which goes into like why ADHD is not a bridge to accommodations. It, it was just like, oh, it's not real. You just need to try harder. And like being able to reflect on how much of my existence was very much in like suicidal ideation, depression, um, and like confusion is a trigger for a lot of those things. Mm-hmm. Cause it's like, I don't understand, but whenever I ask to understand, I'm told that I'm wrong for doing so. So therefore I'm just stuck in not knowing. And that's my fault. Um, yeah, and you, you grew up in Nebraska. <laughs> I, so I'm a military brat. Oh yeah. So when I was almost six, we moved to Germany and oh, wow. my my German experience is fine, but my American experience within Germany was not fine. So when I was put into public schools, which were American, like that's that was like my first white dominated space. I'm I'm from an area that's like very diverse. And so just being like, like, okay, like we're doing this cool, whatever. But that's where I first was introduced to the fact that the way how I spoke in my vernacular and in my mannerisms was threatening. And I was six, I was six years old and I had to learn that. Um, And then like three years later, we moved to Guam and it was a similar experience where it's just like being around the American, cause the Chamorros treated me like I was family, Um, Mm -hmm. which I'm like, I, I hope one day you can find a Chamorro autistic to talk to so that they can talk about how, horrible uh, uh, the u.s taking over their island is oh, um, yeah. they are over gracious oh. to the fact that like like they, they they should just just same way as hawaii they should just like kick the the entire u.s out but <laughs> they haven't yet and oh, I'm, I'm puerto rican Dominican, and puerto so rico yeah i know a whole lot <laughs> yeah. about uh, the u.s hegemony on island. burn it to the ground yes yeah <laughs> But, like, they treated me like I was family, and I found family with them, and um, I'm really honored by that. But, like, the American, the westernized concepts and the American presence is where I experienced the most racism. And, like, again, like, that whole, uh, I need help, but I can't get it. Um, and I'm a problem because I would 
tell teachers to not disrespect me, which apparently is something that kids aren't supposed to demand from <laughs> their elders. Oh, God. Uh, it's like, I, like, if you speak down to me, I'm like, I'm a very aware child. I'm going to tell you to not do that. And when other kids picked on me and I would defend myself, because before I was very passive, but then I, I developed what I recognize as like an anger issue where it's just, might not be an issue, but it was the only mechanism that triggered me to defend myself. And so if people mess with me, I'd, I'd just respond equally, but then I'd be the one who was in trouble. It didn't matter if a kid ran up and hit me because I hit them back. It was my fault and they didn't get in trouble for it. Yeah, that is, um, that's just the stupidest <laughs> thing schools have ever instituted. Oh my God. I, it's awful just yeah. how you get punished for defending yourself. Like, what do you want them yep. to do? Let the kid wail on them? Like, not in my household. No, it's <laughs> yeah, awful. Yeah. No, I, I, I put I, up honestly, or shut up. Like, y'all know me. <laughs> I congratulate you. I mean, when I was in first grade, there was uh, my friend Jeremy was there and mm-hmm. um, he was being picked on by a third grader. And it was uh, one of my classmates' older brother. And mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, this is not going to happen. So I get into kid's face. It was actually second grade. It was like early, like beginning of the semester, beginning of school year, second grade. And I get in his face and we start getting heated because I tell him to leave him alone. And he's like, well, fine, I'll fight me then. And then I go to the pavement where we're going to fight. And he sends his friend over. And I'm like, what is this? I was like, are you kidding me? You're such a wimp. And it was the funniest thing is the fight. No one got hit. We were, it was like watching two roosters fight with blindfolds. <laughs> Legs are flying everywhere. Limbs are going everywhere. And somehow none of them connected. Oh, no. The teacher gave us time out. And honestly, the <laughs> teacher, I think she gave us time out because it was so pathetic. She's like, oh, no. I would, you guys just, you're so bad at this. Like, I had money on one of y'all, but this isn't <laughs> happening. So just go sit somewhere. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. And my childhood was kind of reversed a bit from yours, or not really reversed, because you, your existence is, I think, you have a constancy because your complexion was dark to begin with, right? I, I assume so, yes. <laughs> and it's funny, actually, um, when I was in, well, as, as you know, when the presence of sun is around and readily available, you get deeper, like more pigmented. So oh, yeah. um, I, while I was in Guam, I was a lot darker than I am now. So also dealing with that, like, and I was used to having like corn rolls mm-hmm. because in like, that's just, I, it was like either my hair straight, um, which I really didn't have my hair straight a lot at that time. Um, I didn't start straightening my hair regularly until middle school in Nebraska because I was tired of being mistreated and seen as an aggressive, hostile being. But yeah, I was I was used to having braids and just that dark skin, cornrowed, thin presenting person is apparently a problem in the eyes of many. <laughs> in reality, you were you were not Angelica. You were the Susie Carmichael. Like, shout out to Susie Carmichael. Yeah, she's one of the best here. Nickelodeon characters ever made. Throwing facts everywhere. Yeah, I was a huge <laughs> Rugrat stan. When I was a kid, I was like, Susie's, Susie was one of my heroes. Her and Tommy. Because like, yeah. I just appreciated how they stood up for the underdog. Yeah, which I feel like, well, apparently, according to many other autistic people, that's supposed to be one of our underlying traits, which of course isn't going to be like everybody because we still got problematic autistics out there. Yeah. Um, but that underlying sense of justice of just like, this doesn't look right. I'm going to say something. 
And even if I get trouble, like that doesn't make sense why I got in trouble. Like you're just going to hear me more. <laughs> it's crazy because your issues in school parallel mine a lot because I also grew up in a majority white area and the, the treatment changed because I was born lighter, more white appearing for sure. And then as I grew older, I just grew darker. It's like the, mm. the Hispanic genes were just coming out in full force. I love it. Like some kind of X-Men <laughs> stuff. It's like it's like the blonde people turning brunette, right? Like yeah, that? exactly. Except it was for me, it was the brown hair turning <laughs> to black hair and the uh I don't know, the the hip shaking just grew. The hip shake just like <laughs> swagger, swagger cake. Exactly. I woke up one morning and I had a Honda cord in my driveway and I'm like, wow. <laughs> Congratulations. I was eight years old and I'm ready. Had the coquine sticker on the back and everything. (laughs) But really, uh, it was was crazy because there was a lot of subtle racism and being autistic made everything harder because I didn't get things and people were just kind of like, oh, well, of course you don't get things. Mm. And then there'd be other kids who didn't get things and they got all the love. And it's like, Mm. wait. Why is that? that fair at all? Like, how come, how come she gets the love? And, you know, this is like some pale freckled face young lady who is honestly a really nice mm-hmm. person. So I won't give names, but shout outs to her because she was really cool. And she got picked on a lot for no reason, even though she was really cool. But, you know, she got help. And then for me, they were just like, yeah, you suck. <laughs> Except for the school principal. I mean, crazy in fourth grade, there was a gym teacher who told me, this is why you'll go nowhere in life. Like straight up. Mm. And I'm like, how do you have a, a job? gym teacher? Yeah, like, like for real. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> have you looked in the mirror, son? <laughs> I'm not going, sir, why are you here? Like, <laughs> yeah. like damn, projecting much? <laughs> Must be. But yeah. And then he was, then I saw him like, you know, three years later and I was a sixth grader and I was talking smack to him in the deli and he was like, well, why don't you just, you know, blah, blah, blah. I so see you're really proving me wrong and stuff. He's like, Yo, you're crazy. I, I ended up getting expelled in eighth grade. Mm-hmm. And uh, the crazy thing is my principal is like the only one who stood up for me. Mm-hmm. So every, and I had, prof- I had teachers like just call me out in class and I got blamed for stuff I never did. Mm-hmm. As you were talking, um, just <laughs> like with the most seriousness, I say this, like I was close with all of my principals up until high school because like teachers kept trying to peg me as a bad student. Of course, not all of them, but a pretty good amount that mattered. Um, and, but then, so I'd be sent to the office and the principal like gets to know me and they're like, she's not like, why does she keep getting sent here? And I would always just be like, call my mama if you want to talk about something. Cause I know that I did what I need to do to avoid a butt whooping. So I'm in the right here. Like, <laughs> You call her. You do what you need to do. I didn't do anything wrong because I'm trying to save my booty. My booty's on the line. Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> oh, man, to quote a famous Rocket Power quote: "Don't cast checks. Your booty can't bounce. <laughs> <laughs> my booty can bounce these checks." <laughs> Dang, um, a lot of rump. A lot of rump there. A lot of rump. Get Morgan Stanley in on that investment. <laughs> but okay. yeah, like. I I was I, I yeah so I I always would have these issues with um, my teachers. I do recognize that, and I, like I believe in God. I feel like it's by God's grace that no matter where I was, no matter what grade level I was at, there was always like one teacher that would advocate for me. 
like every grade. And so I would have the principals who were just like, she's not a bad kid. I'm not punishing her for X, Y, and Z. Like, I don't, I don't know what you want me to do. Stop, stop punishing her for like correcting your disrespect. I don't, like, um, and I like when we were in Guam, I had my biology teacher. And being on an island, we got to like do hands-on stuff. So like going to the ocean and learning about all the minerals and just all the really fun hands-on things that I assume that um, non-tactile sensitive autistic people love and enjoy. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) um, But then like in middle school, by the time I was in middle school, I had moved to here uh, in Nebraska. Before middle school, I was in the YMCA. And I remember this very distinct moment where I was already like in a very triggered situation um, because up to that point, I hadn't told anybody that I had been sexually assaulted like several times. Um, so I was already hyper aware of my body and uncomfortable of men being too close to me. And mm-hmm. one of the counselors had like, they, they kept trying to provoke me to be mad. Um, and being aware of how I can get mad that has, I've turned that into a tool to like make it easy for me to like mediate and to de-escalate um because i'm like i'm getting mad so therefore that means that we need to calm the frick down <laughs> um and so it, it was this like combination of me being hyper aware of my body and their proximity to my body and also them trying to for some reason prompt me into getting mad and they they pegged it on me and they're just like that's what you people do or something like that and this was a dark-skinned i don't he wasn't black but he was dark-skinned of some kind and I just snapped on him. Mm. And it was like the 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 lead, uh, the YMCA lead, who was also like a youth manager who had like pulled me aside. And only because I had trusted them, I was able to give let them provide that space for me. And that was like the first time that I had told anybody about the fact that I had been sexually assaulted. And but at the same time, just being frustrated where I'm like, this man was trying to provoke me because I... I, like I'm black and they assumed that that's all I was worth to be provoked a grown adult to a preteen like who deserves that um I just that, it's hard for me to just fathom why I, I mean I look at a child and I just think like I have like instincts to protect that that happened ever since my little brother was born it was there was a change in me it was like whatever was in my genome that was like <laughs> mama bear mode activate just came out strong <laughs> Yeah. And I got hyper defensive of kids and like I would be in the mall and my friends and I are walking and I saw a little girl alone once. It's like, wait, we need to stay here and make sure that she finds her mom. And then her mom found her and I kept walking, but I I couldn't leave the spot until I Mm. saw that she was with an adult and uh, that she recognized and, you know, stuff like that. And I find myself like unconsciously tracking kids in parks to make sure, oh my God, is this kid okay? Like if a kid falls, I'll like, stop and i just <laughs> yeah. I, that's why it's so hard for me to fathom even like it's weird wanting to provoke a kid like that like even the concept of i remember i was in i might have been in high school when i was starting to reflect on what it meant to be a parent um which is already like you mean you just like birth this creature that doesn't know how to do anything and then they progressively create their own like identity of self? Like, what is that? That's terrifying. Uh, <laughs> but even more just being like, so like I, I started contemplating what it meant to be a parent, but then I started contemplating what it meant to be a parent of a black 
child and just being like, so this, this is a part of the reason why I'm terrified to become a mom because it's like we are instantly burdened with the grief of knowing that someone will look at our precious being as a threat to their life and then that will cause threat to their life. Yeah. Like looking at small black children and being like, somebody's going to see you as adorable and cherishable as you are and they are going to instantly feel terrified. And what is that? <laughs> it's like when people freak out when a chihuahua runs at them. It's like, you're five foot ten, and that's a... I mean, that dog isn't even hitting two feet. Like, <laughs> why are you so scared of something so small and, and cute? I mean, like, what, what was, what's a raging six-year-old going to do? Like, you know, punch your and, gut, and then mm, what? the and worst thing that's going to happen is you may see your tummy fat ripple a bit. <laughs> and, you know, that, that may... And that may have some other injuries to the person, but it isn't, isn't the kind of injuries <laughs> that you should worry about. Like having to worry about how um, our black boys are more likely to grow taller quicker. Yeah. And so being held accountable at a higher age. A lot, so it's like they look older to them, but they still have kids like behaviors because they are a child. Um, and then at the same time, having skin color that for some reason, like, pre-translates aggression to people's brains instead of being all like oh like this is a child it's like look at this tall man who's coming at me like, <laughs> it's like what? they were minding their own business so yeah it's like oh, yeah. i don't know how to stop reflecting on those kinds of things and i feel like though these are the kinds of things that like people don't realize that we're constantly reflecting on <laughs> absolutely and in my case it's it's easier for me than you but um, what what I can relate to is the code switching in school because mm, you know yeah. I, I go home to a dad who's Puerto Rican and a mom who's Dominican, and it's like we just have a very different way of being. Even though, uh, unfortunately, both my parents were they were very much in, internalized racism terribly. I mean, they desperately wanted to be white. Gotta essentially, breed out. yep, <laughs> yep. <laughs> breed out the dark skin. Yeah, and they just wanted to be white so bad. It's like you two are so clearly not white, and they they're not <laughs> going to accept you the way you want to be accepted. And frankly, why would you want it? It's like, shouldn't you? Wouldn't you be more comfortable loving yourself in your own skin than to try to wear someone else's? Mm-hmm. That that kind of reminds me about. Um, it, it's okay. It's really interesting how the concepts that we developed as were like kids finding our own identity like then we later find out that there's like terminology for that um like i'm also looking at the questions that you have yeah the <laughs> one of the questions you have is like how did you get into advocacy and one of my really really young mariah thoughts that i had i was like a very reflective child um was just observing yeah, when she was sitting in a pond you, fish you think or... i'm joking like like when people <laughs> are just like oh you have to have like introspection and i'm just like you mean everyone doesn't just think about what they're thinking about all the time <laughs> like, I, I just imagine you like just levitating as a small child with like, koi fish popping <laughs> over your head and there's like a luminescence around your body and your mom's like totally uh, fine with this oh yeah she just does this every day she's fine yeah it's good yeah, no, she's she's a zen. It's fine. Yeah. Why would you interrupt that? <laughs> um, <laughs> Go but, on. <laughs> so one of my young yes, I was floating in the koi pond. Um, <laughs> and one of one of the my young Mariah thoughts was really just like reflecting on how like it didn't make sense to me how people 
would be bullied for things that they couldn't control. And that's really the root of everything that I do is because since I was young, like one of my earlier thoughts is just like, people are people. Mm -hmm. And why would they be like bullied for that? And then that translates into um, when I had uh, my first friend who it was out as gay Mm -hmm. and then they got bullied. And I was just like, but he's a per like, I didn't even know what gay was, but all I knew is that he was a person. And he said that gay isn't something that was a choice. And so therefore I'm going to defend his person, personhood. And I didn't understand why that was hard to comprehend for anybody else. And so literally every, yeah, everything I do is branched off of that. Standing for the right for people to exist as they are, as well as to encourage them to have safe spaces or brave spaces in order to do that in, mm-hmm. um, in, in challenging people's way of processing. Like we, we all carry biases. We all have that some sort of like downloaded prejudice within us. And it's a constant relearning of just like, how can I understand this person's experience from their perspective? And what's the, what are the best steps that I can take to make sure they feel human? Because that is, I feel like that is the the goal of what the concept of existing amongst others should be. Like, it doesn't matter where they come from. It doesn't matter if they speak a language that you don't understand. It doesn't matter if they um, experience attraction differently or if they have a disability that you don't understand. Like, mm-hmm. it's your goal to figure out how to accommodate that. Like, how what what is it within you that you need to work on? So that y'all can be human in the same space as best as possible. Instead of being like, oh, that's different. So therefore this cannot exist. That that doesn't make sense to me. Um, and I'm I'm willing to like tackle people <laughs> Dang. metaphorically and maybe physically. I'm not sure yet. But like I'm willing, like I'm yeah, I mean, if someone provoked me to it, but I'm willing to like tackle people over the concepts of like you're discriminating somebody for existing. I can't. I can't like, like, no, we're not doing that. We, we are here together and this person was minding their own business and you decided to pop up and, and just be a bigot. Like we're not doing that here. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Which, yeah. Which also translates into like me, as I learned about accommodations, we're just like, how, how can we, if we're saying that we're inviting people into spaces, that doesn't mean just saying that they're invited. That means also making sure that people can get in the door. And once they get in the door that they feel that they have what they need to feel safe, mm-hmm. um, that, that's, that's how I, that started. People started calling me an activist and advocate before I understood what those words were. I just knew that I was doing what I felt everyone should be doing. <laughs> yeah. And I, I imagine your own experiences of being bullied and people making assumptions about your character without even knowing who you are that must have really inspired you to stand up for other people because you know the pain of that sort of, I mean, it is injustice outright, that pain of those mm-hmm. unfair expectations, the injustice, you, you, you tasted it yourself. So. Yeah. And that's also what, in the ways that that translated from like my educators, everything, apparently autistic people are good at reliving experiences. And I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. They're <laughs> just in between. Mm-hmm. But just being able, yeah, being able to like constant, be able to like put myself back in my past body and just remembering what 
how different instructors like mishandled situations and just Mm -hmm. always knowing in my deepest sense of being that I never wanted to be that person for another child. Like, yeah, I didn't want to be that teacher that when a child remembered me, they could only process trauma. (laughs) And so figuring out ways to not only like counteract that, but also to um, just actively be a space for like how how can we thrive how can i encourage you yes you're not being like the best person right now but like i'm not your fault like (laughs) like behaviors doesn't uh misunderstood behaviors doesn't mean that someone is bad like especially kids you know speaking on activists and just people in general, who are you, some of your biggest role models? I imagine you, you model yourself in a lot of ways after people who you saw paving the roads for you. Um, really, I like, I, I really honor my mom. Um, and, and just like the wisdom and patience that she's had, not just with me, but with others. <laughs> um, like she's been through so much, but like she's always been so she's gone out of her way to be kind to me. And I know it's like supposed to be the expect it's the expectation that you're kind to your children, but still just reflecting where it's just like she did she she herself took on like a lot of things and yeah. then just being a single parent and still going out of her way to like make sure that I felt safe and provide that space for me to process my being. Like she never tried to turn me into anybody else. She just kept trying to find opportunities to understand where I was at and help me to know that that was okay to explore. I, I like, I love, I, I was a very outdoorsy person. Mm-hmm. Um, now I'm a bit more terrified because it's like all these weird chemicals in the grass. Um, but I just be in the dirt. I be climbing up on climbing up and falling off of trees. Um, and I love to create and like observe thing. And th- that's also a part of like, my in the things that I enjoy, I enjoy observing things just being and the way how I um process my art is that I enjoy just like how do I how do I make space for being? How how can I watch being happen and how can like I encourage more of that to exist? So you say you say your art, so do you mean you're dancing? Um yes, I'm gonna say yes. Uh <laughs> I get it, like so when I was uh, in an art fellowship last year even though it feels like I mean what's time you know um yeah I was an art fellowship yes last year and a part of the workshops that we had to take was reflecting on what our aesthetic was and I like I take I'm not a, I'm not at all a photographer but every once in a while, like if you if you need photos taken on your phone, you try to look cute. Or like if I'm just out in nature and I'm just like trying to observe beingness, like I take photos. And um, so like being able to reflect off of that. Mm. Um and like I like all my photos was just like just untouched beingness. And I'm just like, I love it. Keep it like that. There's dancing where we move more into my obsession of movement and processing and expression. And there's also communication that's within that. Uh, So those are like all really big values of mine, Um, as well as a more, 
I don't know if it's a new art form for me. It's more so I'm realizing that it's a form of art space making. Before COVID happened, like, which is very annoying. <laughs> uh, I, I realized I had a passion for like creating um, accessible social spaces. Mm-hmm. There's art to that. Yes, there's organizing, but there's a deep art to just being like, how can I invite these people in to explore what being here is? And what do we get from that? Mm-hmm. I'm a little bit everywhere. There, there is no cohesion to my existence. I, w- I recently wrote out a about me. They were like, what is it that you do? And I wrote out all these things that I do and have done. And I was just like, no consistency other than that there's people involved. <laughs> That's it. But I bet there is consistency. I think you just kind of have to discover that, that line because... Um, Can clouds be lines? You know, it's all emanating from you, right? Clouds can certainly be lines, yeah. I mean, I've played a lot of Super Mario growing up, and I have seen what clouds are capable of. Some throw spiny shells at you. So they, they're capable of a lot more than we give them credit for. Um, so you talked about stim dancing. When I saw your stim dancing videos on, on your YouTube, I was really impressed with the pop and lock. I was like, dang, that's clean. You're really, you're really, really good at dancing. Wait, on oh my YouTube? Yeah. I only have, wait, which one? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dang, you got more than one. Um, I do actually. I, I I'm trying to. So I have this concept called Love Fearlessly that I carried with me. Okay, so that one was not stem dancing. That was moving through, um, like movement fundamentals. Oh well, see, breath I, and yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're you're on this yogic stuff twenty four seven, huh? I, I'm trying to be dance movement therapist. Like these are the things that I love. Like awesome. how can I understand bot? Like I understand movement as a language. So the same way how you would l- learn words or like for sign language, the different signs. Like I see, I I see that as like movement entirely. So when it comes to wanting to understand like how to process through things or how to better communicate with my body with dance and creative movement, I'm I'm just like, how can we take these pieces? Um, especially since movement is connected to the way how we see the world and how we process it. And there's this beautiful mind-body connection that some people, like we, we all live on a spectrum of be that being disconnected or more connected. And even if you are more disconnected, there's still space for that. And just, yeah, that's just me all day where I'm like, how can, how can I better articulate my existence? And how can I bring others into that? Yeah, and, and, and for listeners, um, what she's saying isn't isn't like hippie mumbo jumbo. I mean, there's <laughs> for real, there like trauma is encoded into the body mm-hmm. as a way to save your conscious mind from storing it in explicit memory. Mm-hmm. That's called implicit memory, conversely. It, it's stored in the body, and that's why. They do body scans for people who haven't processed trauma and can't remember traumatic events. It's very real. The mind-body duality is really just a false dichotomy. It doesn't exist. The body and the mind are one and the same. It's a really interesting... I love the relationship. I love how there's always this reflection of internal and external and how both reflect each other. Um, As well as, like, for instance, one of the ways that dance helped me is being somebody who's gone through sexual assault, mm-hmm. um, I, oh, for my dance minor, which I'm still trying to attempt to finish, um, I had to take a ballroom class, and it took me a couple of classes to realize why 
every class I would like, like I, I would just leave like halfway through because it would be so overwhelming. And uh, one of the days where I was in the bathroom crying my eyes out, I was just like, why am I here? What's going on? Like, what is right now telling me? And I was able to come to the realization that through my experiences in life, I had unawarely um, associated closeness with danger and assault. Mm-hmm. So I, I told I told my teacher, um, I asked one of my dance mentors, like, should I continue with this? I feel like I'm dying. What's going on? And they they worked with me and I was able to like build a new understanding with my body as well as a better understanding of my boundaries. And it turned out better than it could have been, definitely. And a part of that, I was at the same time, I was taking a dance magic class. So that was like a really good time to be taking those classes together. That would and- be Bowie and dance magic? <laughs> <laughs> um, were you in Labyrinth? No, no. Dance somatics, not dance labyrinth. <laughs> <laughs> well, very similar. Um, Control King, dance instructor, they're pretty much next to each other on the spectrum. <laughs> and so I had learned about how, like, body positioning can trigger the way how you're... Pro- so, like, for instance, um, by when you're sad, like, what is your body language mostly? It's going to be, like, more slouch over, more making yourself small, yeah. trying to find that comfort. You're, like, going to your core, which is your belly button. And sometimes we find ourselves on the ground um, with all fine things. Um, but it's just like when you're sad, your body does it, it communicates specifically. But also whenever you're in that those positions, it can also trigger those emotions back to you. And so it's this back and forth pinging. Um, and while I was in burnout, I acknowledge that because I'm like, I always want to be curled up in a ball, but this is all I can be. And like me, when people are just like, oh, you just got to like, get up and like dance. I couldn't dance for the longest time. <laughs> you got to get up. You got to dance. You got to do these things, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I'm aware that I'm tr- like, there is a, a re-triggering based off of my, my, my experience of being, but that's like also not my fault. And it's okay for me to be here as I need to be here and experience that. But at the same time, when I could, I would try to like sit up and straighten my back and like roll my shoulders back because that triggers a different way of thinking where it's not fake happiness, but it's allowing your, your positioning to shift your perspective. Mm -hmm. You can still feel like crap. Like I'm not saying like you're going to roll your shoulders back and just like feel sparkles all over the place, but (laughs) understanding that processing between how your body and your brain are in like this forever connected relationship with each other um and just i enjoy exploring those worlds and sharing those worlds with people yeah and it takes all kinds i mean for one thing it sounds like whether your instructors knew it or not whether you knew it or not it sounds very much akin to ayurvedic you know ancient indian philosophy with mind body connection and it's based on a holistic picture rather than a mm-hmm. Western science as great as mm-hmm. Western science has been. I mean, obviously we have <laughs> in a lot of ways. I mean, we've got cars and rocket ships, but then we it get is. terrible things like phrenology and eugenics. So it, it's like you get the good with the bad, <laughs> but 
what it's really bad at is uh, it's bad at understanding holistic pictures because the whole foundation of Western science is to put a microscope to everything and mm. have subspecialties on top of subspecialties. And, you know, that that gets to be a problem. But that's I mean, I think it's a lot of the reason why this mind body connection and now the gut brain connection mm. pretty much what we're learning is, wow, bodies are integrated. It's like, well, mm. Yeah. You can't do one? <laughs> Compartmentalizing is a lie? What? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, the ancients kind of figured it out because they took a different approach to the, the science of it. And yeah, I, I just, uh, I find it really interesting how there's such a variety of how people experience. For me, I, I was hyperlexic and I mean, I am hyperlexic still. So, yeah, I was. <laughs> I stopped. Yeah, I was like, screw this. <laughs> and, uh, I, I'm, I'm hyperlexic, but my body and I like it's weird there are things my body and I kind of we work together well but when it comes to dancing and things of that nature I'm really really bad it's it's such an effort I've never been able to dance well also okay it doesn't feel natural what like define dancing like because I'm I I for me I have like this pet peeve I'm just like are we basing dancing off of like your cultural experiences with the word dance kind of or largely okay <laughs> and i i think i think usually um, what it is yeah it's like for me but it's not just dancing like barchata or merengue or something i mean dancing like in any capacity just the movement you know i guess you can call it like if we kind of took the definition of music and applied it to dancing like a rhythm you know just a repetitive sort of groove that you're going on Mm -hmm. i i find it difficult and i think it's because i had been chastised and made fun of for trying to express movement past and there's that in the back of my head from childhood like oh well you don't move the right way so my body's kind of feeling disconnected Mm -hmm. but then when i skate you know i I longboard and i shortboarded i feel really in in sync it's like my the, the board is part of me Mm-hmm. And uh, I like to quad skate. Quad skate is that the roller skates, like the big four four yeah. wheels? Yeah, yeah, buddy. I never understood. <laughs> I tried so hard to rollerblade those. Any like wheels under my feet when they're not in between something is really hard for me. Yeah, I need that buffering, the freedom. <laughs> yeah, you just want to feel that road right there. You want to be part of it. Yep. Yeah, it buddy. Sense. Like I taught myself how to. Listen, I watched a video that taught me how to skate downhill because I live, I don't like skating in rinks. I like skating outside and I live in a neighborhood that's on a like slight incline. And then right after that, I was like, if I can do this forward, that means I can do it backwards. And that was immediately what I started teaching myself how to do. And I love skating backwards. It's so great. Yeah, you're on another (laughs) level. (laughs) (laughs) I'm uh, skating backwards downhill. I'm trying to learn longboard dancing right now, and I'm Ooh. I'm like teaching my my body to get comfortable with the left foot forward. So I, I mm-hmm. I'm like the minority among minorities and skaters mm-hmm. uh, because there's mondo or manga. I keep forgetting what it is, but it's like you put your right. I put my right foot forward. Most skaters mm-hmm. would put their left foot and back and push with their right foot. I do the complete opposite. <laughs> And I do right foot forward, kick with my left foot, even though my right foot is my dominant foot. Uh, and I have to teach myself how to r- how to ride with my left foot forward so I can switch and have it be just as natural. Hmm. So that's been a cool experience. It feels nice and also kind of scary learning how to skate again because it's good. My body naturally is like, hey, this isn't what we're used to. We shouldn't do this. Uh, and then pushing against that 
in a way that's safe is really healthy for yes. I think just for anyone, really. Just pushing your boundaries in a safe way is always a good thing, I think. Be safe, but also like you don't want that like circle of safe to be so small, you're no longer safe anyway. <laughs> like- exactly. Yeah. <laughs> there's a there's a really there's a balancing act where you definitely want to feel safe, but you don't want to feel scared of everything either. And part of that is developing a tolerance to scary things, you know, but again, within moderation. Mm-hmm. And so what, what are some of your other special interests? You mentioned a couple, you got your body movement, got my movement, you got skating, skating people, which is like a good and bad thing. Cause people make me tired. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, what do you mean by people? Others? Like you just hanging out with them or just, yeah and getting my diagnosis helped me to understand that like where all i like i knew where i'm like i love people but they make me tired all the time and it's just that zapping of energy where it's like i want to be out there with people collaborating with them uplifting them enjoying time like creating memories together but like a couple of hours and i'm just spent like and, and then sometimes like before my burnout i was the kind of person who was never home <laughs> like mm-hmm. i would be somewhere doing something all the time and no one told me about what burnout was let alone autism and burnout so it was just like just me spending time that i didn't have and it's just like oh well an autistic burnout now i can't leave my home because <laughs> that conceptually doesn't make sense to me <laughs> yes you you sound like you're an extrovert I'm very much an introvert. Oh, wow. I just love people. That's interesting. <laughs> I, I love people. I love creating and I love experiences. Yeah, that's a double, um, that's a triple whammy right there, actually. The love of people, but doubly uh, exhausted by them. Autism plus introversion. Yep. yep. People are just like, you're such a people person. I'm just like, I am just there. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and I've developed enough. Um, I've, I've pushed enough outside of my boundaries to my previous boundaries, like just like, oh, this makes me anxious, not like I'm in danger. Um, <laughs> I pushed enough outside of my boundaries so like much and created so many social routines that I didn't even acknowledge, like I didn't realize that they were routines that like interaction and in, in a lot of situations is just fluid because I'm just like pulling from my internal files. And so what looks like fluid social ability is really me just recalling patterns. <laughs> Do you find that is less the case when you're talking to another autistic person? You know, when you are talking to other people on the spectrum, is there a kind of a more natural language or do you still feel like you're, you're masking and kind of uh, I I mean, analyzing in that way? Like, I don't, it's, it's interesting. Cause like, Burnout made it harder for me to mask, even though I'm post-burnout. And then on top of that, I've always been myself to, like, a certain degree. Like, just no one's aware of their mask until it crumbles. Yeah. Um, Because even before I knew I was autistic, like, now I talk about parallel play a lot. um, Sharing parallel space with each other. And I do that with people before before I knew I was autistic. And, like, plenty of neurotypical people. And they'd always be all like, wow, like nobody does this with me. This is amazing. And I'm like, people don't just share space to just like exist together and not uh, insist someone to infringe on that existence. What's that? Like, what? (laughs) 
y'all know how to be in a room together? (laughs) And when I'm in like business settings that those old habits can, or old routines, social routines can like get triggered. They're harder now. Um, Whenever I'm around autistic people though, like it just like, I know that if I don't understand something that it's not going to be weird for me to ask them to clarify and all of the shoulds that are usually brought up, I don't have to be worried about that. And it's easier to communicate my access needs around disabled and neurodivergent people and just be like, hey, like my brain's not working. I know it looks like it does right now, but I promise you, I cannot think straight. (laughs) And it kind of hurts when I try. (laughs) And people are like, oh, okay, that's fine. Or like, hey, words terrifying me right now. And it's like, cool. Like we can just like text or like we don't even have to talk right now. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's the best part is having autistic friends and other neurodiverse folks because again, when you're on the kind of the large spectrum of neurodiversity, if you're labeled neurodiverse. You kind of get, you get what it's like. Or neurodivergent, yeah. Yeah, neurodivergent. And you you get what it's like. And so I find like my friend who's bipolar, he, he gets it. So he doesn't judge me if we're watching a show and I stop responding to him talking to me because, you know, he understands it takes, it it really starts to hurt after a while if I try to split my concentration because it's not natural for me. You know, the, the, having that background noise Mm. either, either way, it's, it just, it, really takes a toll on me and he gets it or sometimes i'll just say you know hey can i have like 10 minutes just be on my own and they'll be totally fine and it doesn't they don't feel like it's a slight against them it's just Mm -hmm. they get oh yeah you need space i guess i have so like my two people who most accommodate me and i adore my entire existence outside of my mother of course um Mm -hmm. like i have my friend shelby who like we always joke like i call her my um support friend i think is what i call her <laughs> or like like she's my accessibility person like she ha- she also has an amazing accessibility um consulting agency but also just our relationship was the first one where if i had an access needs it it wasn't it, it was just like assumed that that would be communicated well not like in a bad way like you should have said this but like oh yeah, like, oh, yes, you struggle with this. That's cool. Like, let's, like, let's build a bridge for that. And she helped me to put on like my autistic space, um, express unbound, where it was like centered around stimming and stuff like that. But she, she's not autistic. And there's a lot of conversations about how, like, when you are chronically, like, if you have like some sort of chronic illness or chronic pain experience, there's some sort of divergent that's going to like occur by default. Um, because when you're always processing like pain and fatigue, that's going to create like some different, like the way how you think about the world is going to be very similar to the way how autistic people process, (laughs) like, (laughs) just like, oh, like, I understand this is too much. Like I too understand not having energy to do things. (laughs) Um, and she's helped me to understand just like fatigue is a thing and I don't have to like feel ashamed for that like really appreciative for her and all the things that she helped me with and then I also have my partner Dexter who he was there for me like while I was going through my diagnosis process we were still friends and um so he was there for me like the entire way he he was the first person that I like openly awaringly like stemmed in front of um and 
he doesn't have any diagnoses, but like there's like some neurodivergence there that we're just like not there's not like we don't know any specific words for yet. But yeah, like I remember just like casually being like being in the space together. I just like started toe walking and flapping and <laughs> just, <laughs> and verbal stimming. And he didn't like look at me like I was weird at all. He was just like, that's just that's just Ryan. Like he he just sat there and was casually being himself as I was just casually being myself. <laughs> it's it's taken a lot of time to be at that point. Like I'm grateful I don't have to be with somebody who I have to hide that from. And I'm grateful that like when there's loud sounds and he sees me like wince, he like instantly is just like, do we need to go somewhere else? Or like if I start flapping, he'll like ask to make sure like if it was a happy flap or if it's something that he needs to like accommodate. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like more of that, please. Can we do more of these things in the world generally? Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> do you do your flaps? They have like a particular sort of flap for when you're happy. I, I read that a lot of people who flap as a stim, they're like if they have wide flaps, kind of like I call them bird flaps, then that. Uh, that indicates that they're happy. It's like taking up a lot of space. And when they're kind of more mm. lower to their body and like more like a fidgety kind of looking flap, like almost like they're a little scared to spread out and take space that implied they were feeling really uh, anxious. Um, and I wonder if that maps onto your experience. Well, I really enjoy that reflection. And if there's like, if that's written down somewhere, I would love to have a link to it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll, I'll set you up with what's probably one of the most heartwarming things I've read in a very long time. Yeah. Yes. Yay. Um, I'm not sure. So flapping, funny enough, is like one of those stems that came along after I understood what stemming was. And it's interesting how once you give yourself permission to stem, like, a flood of more stims just like it's like oh well you've been suppressing this this entire time it's like oh well okay we're doing this now all right um i also so this is term that like is i don't think it exists out in the world except for when i say it um but like displacement stems so when you stem to displace a like a a failing that you don't want to experience like Mm -hmm. and it can be like small stuff like really small stuff that really gets to me is I don't know if you ever experienced this, but whenever your teeth squeak, just unexpectedly, this rub against each other and make a squeaking sound like no. And so then I have my displacement stems, which is usually some form of flapping that is meant to displace the feeling in my body that has happened because of that squeaking sound. Or like it's like I feel it, get it out, get it out, get it out, get it out. It's like kind of like shooing it away. But, but then like my happy flaps, I I guess because I'm like. <laughs> Of course, I'm doing it right now. Um, my happy flaps are like more upwards. It's more of like rocking my hands. And it's usually like somewhere above where my chest is. As for my like displacement stems are a little bit like more towards my belly button. And it's like shooing away. Yeah. Like literally, I'm just like, like, get it out, get it out. Oh my gosh, this hurts. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. Like, <laughs> you know, I think it makes sense to me because when I when I'm feeling happy, and I, I assume when most other people are feeling happy, you kind of feel like a surge going up to your head, and it's like this energy is kind of emanating from below up, and you just it feels like almost like it's it's shooting out, like 
vegan <laughs> rather than when you're feeling kind of anxious or really uncomfortable. You know, it's more like it's more of a downward pressure yeah. is what I find. Oh, wait, so, be gone, it, you demon. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's quite gotten there. For me. It's like, well, like if if you need to do something like that's something else. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're fighting off Belial over there. I'm not sure I'm quite there yet. I'm just the level one exorcist. You're clearly pretty advanced. I, whoever created my teeth to squeak should really just like they should speak to like the creator of the universe unless it's them then i have some words to say to them as well like yeah. stop the pain <laughs> why do you do this to me why did what did i do what did i do that's the price you pay for having nice teeth aesthetically is it <laughs> i guess I, so i don't want them <laughs> yeah you're gonna wake up I tomorrow need i need teeth. all gums i like eating recently i was talking about how like Food is definitely my love language and food is my favorite way to create relationships and to like build relationships. I think you are in large company there. <laughs> a lot of people still love food and friends. Yes. The two together, they go together very well. My closest friends love to eat with me. And yes, um, like I, my favorite spot to commune with people is this um, Ethiopian spot called Lalabella's. It's like, yeah, I love, I love, so like in American culture, Mm -hmm. where it's just like centralized, whatever the picture of America comes into your head, like that American culture, like we've lost the sense of like eating with our hands. So with all the cultures who come to the U.S. and they still partake in that, and also the indigenous peoples as well. Like, I appreciate the grounding that eating with your hands has. And just like, it opens up more opportunity for connection. It's weird. Weird to like think that deep about silverware. Like, <laughs> yeah, I never, I'll, I'm going to pay attention to that. Like, this spoon is creating disconnect. Like, <laughs> <laughs> this spoon is the source of all evil. Yes. Yeah, like we have like injera, which is like the, it's like tortilla, oh, yeah. where you just you take your food and then you you pick it up with the bread and then you eat it in your mouth. Ah, uh, that sounds amazing. Feels very communal, and I'm like more of that. And it's weird because then I like pretty much just took that concept and applied it to like Mexican food, and I'm like, y'all are probably looking at me. I'm probably not doing this right. That's okay. This is food. It's getting my body. <laughs> uh. Mexican food slays me. It's so good. I tacos the other day with my buddy. And I love, um, uh, I'm thinking back. I was at my friend's family's Thanksgiving and it was a Jamaican Thanksgiving. And I was like, oh, God, the jerk, everything. Yes. Jerk anything. Hit me with it. Yeah. Hit oh, me. my God. The, the smoked ham. Everything about it was just on point. And I'm like, you, you people are spoiling the, me. Yes. The love. I love their dumplings. I haven't had them. Never. I didn't even know they had them. Yeah. Interesting. Dumplings are cultural. Yeah. A lot of different cultures have. I mean, pierogies are pretty much Polish dumplings. And, you know, it seems like everyone's got their own version of dumplings. Because it's cost effective. And yeah, it's like it's one of it's like soul food. Oh, soul food. Like how how do we create food from the limited resources that we have? 
Yes. <laughs> fry bread. <laughs> Tortillas. Like, Deep fried Coca-Cola for American version. Oh, uh, I've never heard of this monstrosity. What are you saying? It's real. <laughs> Deep fried Coca-Cola. They sell it. What is wrong with us? <laughs> yeah, there's this, there's this thing called the Big E. I, I live in New England and uh, there's a big festival called the Big E. It's a huge farmer's thing and they have deep fried Coca-Cola and I'm like, how? why did you try? Why? Like you, how do you put breading on it? How does that even work? How do you contain this beast? What, like, how is that going to prolong your life and potential for survival? Like, it certainly will this? not. <laughs> it will do everything that's antithetical to that. I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, well, that's America for you. <laughs> Matrix like, fat and sugar, I'm in. <laughs> Hell yeah, let's go. Oh my gosh. We, how do we ex- supposedly expect to dominate anything if we're killing ourselves with? Things that should have never been eaten, let alone in a, a mass amount. Like The worst part is there's that American side of me deep down that immediately goes, you know, that sounds kind of good. <laughs> I'm like, wait, what are you doing? There's a lot of things that sound good. Deep fried Coca-Cola. <laughs> that's the only you, friend. That's only you. <laughs> yeah. uh, clearly not. Someone's making bank at that booth because they keep coming back every year. I oh never tried it, though. It, it, I've it heard just... of deep fried lard and that one just like, I was like. How, how, how are we supposed to, I don't, we're just really killing ourselves at this point. Like you can't convince me otherwise. You know what would, you know would work really well with this fat and grease? More fat and grease. <laughs> what if we put the fat in the fat and cooked it in it? Like that seems to be all the ideas. Like, People at Yale sweating over this. That's what they come up with. Wait, let's put the fat in the fat. Oh my, oh my gosh. gosh. <laughs> Take all my money. Ah! Someone just breaks glass and pushes a big red button. Yep. General Pentagon yep. just swoops in. <laughs> I'll tell you what's the most dangerous thing was I when I was living in Puerto Rico, the dangers of good food for cheap. Because you see those hot dog stands mm. and they load it with everything great imaginable. And mm. it's only like a dollar. <laughs> a dollar. And then you get a soda for 15 cents. But yeah, we've reached the hour and a half mark. So this is where you plug your stuff. I hope things was learned. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, there, this was all over the place. I I'm on the Twitters um, at Lil Rai Raya, and then I have my website, which is Raya's Weird Journey dot com. R I A H W E I R D J O I. J O U R and oh gosh, you yes, it just those <laughs> words. Type them into Google. Um, and I have like a coffee and Patreon that is my same uh, tag as my Twitter. the The funds that are contributed to those go into my accessibility fund that help me to both make sure that my events are accessible that I put together, as well as gives me opportunity to donate and contribute to other people to have their events and content to be accessible as well so yes that's that's my heart song <laughs> awesome and everyone twitter at lil rai raya it's uh l-i-l-r-i-r-i-a-h no spaces at lil rai raya and her facebook um well, actually, that no. one, yeah, no, not, never mind. I'm just Twitter. Sorry, boomers, yeah. nothing like, for you. I would prefer to know you if you were my Facebook. <laughs> true, 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 true. <laughs> so, uh, her Facebook is at not available. 
<laughs> YouTube love fearlessly. I don't know if you have any content planned there. Um, and otherwise, Raya's weird journey. Yeah. Um, yeah, buddy. It, it is clearly weird. She's been astral projecting since mm-hmm. the age of this well, whenever the koi pond was discovered. Yeah. And so I think I was pre-womb, you know? <laughs> pre-womb. <laughs> astral projected into your mother's body. <laughs> I'm taking over now. I'm gonna chill here for nine months. Uh, it makes me feel like I chose this life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah. Thanks for coming on, though. And it's been awesome. Everyone, uh, check out Avatar Raya's uh, content. <laughs> she does, uh, Raya does great work for the community, all things serious. and All things random. An advocate, a voice for people whose voices are made small, which is woefully too prevalent in this world. Woefully too prevalent. Yes. Oh. With that, peace out. Peace out. Bye.